All right, welcome back, week four, Rhythms of Grace. If you're joining us for the first time, what we're doing in this series is we're looking at a set of practices that are most commonly known to us as the spiritual disciplines. These are habits like praying, reading, fasting, uh, and today we'll be looking at the rhythm of giving. Um, as always, if this content is helpful for you, we would really appreciate if you would like, comment, share, because first, that lets us know that this is actually helpful to you, and second, uh, it helps spread this message a little bit more so that we can continue being helpful to others. Uh, so far in this series, we've looked at the rhythms of resting in Jesus, of praying, and of fasting, and today we're going to stay in Matthew chapter 6, where we've been the last couple of weeks as we look at the rhythm of giving. So uh, let's read together this passage of uh, scripture from Matthew chapter 6. Verses one through four, Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So once again, here in Matthew chapter six, we see these three practices that are addressed by Jesus of praying, giving, and fasting. All three of these were very important foundational pillars of Judaism, and they remain very important foundational practices uh, for Christians today. And every single one of these practices are, are rhythms where we are prone to some sort of self-righteousness, which is why with praying and fasting and with giving, Jesus teaches a right way to do these things, and he teaches a wrong way to do these things. Here's the wrong way, Jesus says. He says it's wrong to practice your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them or to draw attention to yourself. Don't sound a trumpet before you, Jesus says. So don't, don't draw a bunch of unnecessary attention to, to yourself so that people can just see you and praise you for how generous you're being. He says that's what the hypocrites do. They do the right thing, but they do it from the wrong motivation. They don't do it because they're being seen by their Father in heaven. They do it because they just want to be seen by others. So that's the wrong way. Jesus says, here's the right way. Give secretly. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We don't see, we don't give to be seen by others. We give because we are seen by God. So like all of the other rhythms, giving should be the natural overflow of a heart that is well rested and satisfied in Jesus Christ. And like we saw last week with praying and, and with fasting over the last couple of weeks, Jesus teaches giving not as a suggestion, but as an assumption. Jesus says, when you give to the needy. Of all the rhythms of grace, there is no action that's more inextricably connected to the message of the gospel than the rhythm of giving. John 3.16 is probably the most famous passage of scripture in the entire Bible, and what does it say to us? For God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. When we give of our time, when we give of our money, when we give of ourselves and of our being, we give credibility to the gospel message by putting it on a visible, tangible display. So when we fully believe what God has provided for us in Jesus Christ, the only rational response is that we'll give all of ourselves in return. Let, let's read that passage of scripture from John chapter three. It's one many of us have, have heard hundreds, maybe even thousands of times in our lives, but this is our foundation for why we enter into the rhythm of giving. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved that he gave. 
Giving gives credibility to the claim of love. I want you to consider this with me for just a moment. How many actions of love can you think of that don't require some level of giving? Let's just go through a few together here. Think of spending quality time with someone. That requires a sacrifice, a giving of your time. Being fully present, that's gonna possibly require a sacrifice of personal rest or desire or ambition. Helping someone meet a financial need, that might require a sacrifice uh, of giving from your budget. Or an act of service might require a sacrifice of personal comfort or preference. Victor Hugo said so famously in Les Mis, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Giving is not just an example of love. Giving as followers of Christ is the evidence of love. John 3.16 doesn't say that God so loved the world that he told us so. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave. And what did he give? He gave his only son, his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. At the foundation of the gospel, we see this truth, that God spared us his worst and he gave us his best. God so loved the world that he gave, and so the response from us is that we are so loved, so we give. This is what the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, offer your bodies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Because of the grace and the mercy that we've been shown in Christ, we give all of ourselves to him in return. And one of the greatest evidences that we've truly believed and understood the gospel is that we become people who give. Think, for example, of the New Testament believers, the early church in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, the pictures that we see. Acts 4 says that no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. No one said that anything that, they be that belonged to them was their own. They had everything in common. It says there was not a needy person among them. It says that many of them sold homes and they brought, uh, they sold land. They brought the proceeds of, of what they sold to the church that could be distributed to care for the needs within the church body. So there were people who had been transformed by the power of the gospel. And one of the greatest evidences of their transformation is that they became people who were willing to give. It, two of the greatest indicators of what we value are uh, where we spend our time and how we spend our money. Time is our most valuable, limited, non-replenishable resource. We make time for the things that matter. And Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I think we need to be asking ourselves consistently, what is it that I truly value? And how is that evidenced by where I spend my time and how I spend my money? You know, as uh, followers of Jesus, when it comes to, to money, I've, I've heard many of us ask, and I've asked this question myself, you know, well, how, how much do I need to give? How much do I have to give? What is the baseline for giving um, as a follower of Christ? And this question can, always, can also come across in a number of different forms. It might uh, come across like, how much do I have to serve? How much do I have to come to church? How much do I have to contribute financially? And, and those questions are, are sad to me. I, I should be sad when I ask them. You should be sad when you ask them because what that question tells us is that we're still stuck in religion. We're still stuck in a forced discipline that's attempting to please God rather than participating in an unforced rhythm that comes from souls that are well-rested and satisfied in Jesus. The question we should be asking is, in light of all that God has done, how can I withhold anything in return? Not, how much do I have to give to keep God happy? Because of Christ, we are 
in the eyes of God, we've been justified and sanctified. In the future, we will be glorified to stand with him. God has already given us everything. He's well-pleased in us through his son, Jesus Christ. So we don't give out of an effort to keep him happy. We give because he's already given us everything we need in his son, Jesus. God gave us his best and spared us his worst. And oftentimes, I fear that we get that backwards. We, we will give of our worst and we will spare our best. So I just wonder, you know, how different might our world look like? How much different would our church even potentially look like if we weren't consistently giving God our leftovers? If we were consistently people who, who because of Christ within us and because of the rest that we found in him, gave out of the natural overflow of our hearts? What if we begin, as we begin to regather for worship, what if we showed up with the mentality of people who are hosts, not as people who are guests? We show up ready to serve, eager to serve, wanting to serve, to build up the body of Christ. Or when we got paid, what would it look like if we were setting aside percentages, not just to support the work of the local church, but to support parachurch ministries and to support missionaries? What would it look like if we built margin into our budget so that we could be freed up to help family, to help friends, maybe even to help complete strangers in times of need? Because this is the picture that we see of the New Testament church. They gave to advance the mission of their local church. They gave to support other sometimes struggling churches. They gave uh, for the advance of the go- uh, message of the gospel through missions to the ends of the earth. They gave to all who had need. They saw that nothing that belonged to them was their own. Because of understanding that everything that they had was given to them in Christ, they were more than willing to give of all that they had for the advancement of the gospel and for the benefits of others. So, so, you know, a question that did come to me via email this past week uh, when it comes to this subject of giving was, uh, you know, as New Testament believers, then how much do I give? Like, what, what is the baseline that we should be pointing to? Uh, you know, while we could point to the Old Testament for the example of what we call the tithe, which is uh, 10% of our income, uh, the bottom line is the New Testament lacks a, a verse that says, thou shalt give 10% of our income. There's not a specifically stated baseline, but uh, this is what we do know about the New Testament believers. Not only do we really have no reason to believe that they started giving less, we actually have every reason to believe that they started giving more. Again, go back to the words of Acts 2, to the words of Acts 4. They didn't see anything that they had as belonging to themselves. That They saw it all as a gift that was given from God that was to be stewarded by them for the advance of the gospel, for the building up of the church, for the benefits of their community and for those who were in need. No one was without need. They sold homes, they sold lands, they sold possessions. So so we could look at the New Testament church and and really understand like not only did they probably not start giving less than 10%, they actually probably began to give significantly more. What motivated them to give so selflessly? I mean, what motivates a group of people who, most of whom were were probably in relative poverty, not extremely wealthy, what motivates a group of people to suddenly say, hey, nothing that I have is mine. Everything that I have has been given to me by God for the building up of the church, the advance of the gospel, and the benefits of others. What motivated them was a God who had given everything for them. Think about this with you for just a second. Did Jesus give 10% of his life to them or did he give all of it? Did he forgive 10% of their sins or had he forgiven all of their sins? Did he pay our entire debt of sin or did he only pay 10% of it? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty might become rich. God could not have given us more than he gave us when he gave us Jesus. He spared nothing. Jesus Christ wrote a check with his life and he cleared the bank to save you. So we lay out our lives as a blank check to him in response. 
It's going back to the words of the Apostle Paul, Romans 12, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. As followers of Jesus, our giving goes way beyond our time and our treasure and our talent. It involves our entire selves, offering our entire selves as an act of worship to Jesus Christ. And we don't do this, understand, as a way of repaying him. We don't do this because we're trying to pay God back everything that he's, he's made possible for us. Because at the cross, Jesus didn't take out a loan. He satisfied a debt. Our, the penalty for our sin has been completely paid, and there's absolutely nothing that we can do to pay him back in return. We, we, he did this so that we could live and so that we could give freely. And we're not doing this as a people who are trying to get more for themselves, but as people who have already been given everything in Christ. Paul goes on to say, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Not hesitantly, not from a place of begrudging obligation. What Paul is saying here, our giving should not be a forced discipline. It should be an unforced rhythm. I've heard J.D. Greer say that giving is not about getting money out of your pocket. It's about getting the idols out of your heart. When we view everything that we have, when we view our time, our homes, our wallets, our bank accounts, and our very lives, when we view it all as a gift of God to be stewarded for his glory, then the rhythm of giving protects us from the idols of excessive comfort and materialism and greed. No one in my life has ever modeled this for me better than my own father. You know, I was uh, blessed and privileged to grow up in a home with two parents who have uh, my mom, especially today, my, my dad passed away in 2011, uh, just continued to live a life that is marked by giving. Even in the moments of my life when I hated the church and I wanted absolutely nothing to do with the faith, the one thing that I could never question was my parents' commitments, and it was made evident because of how willing they were uh, to give. And it wasn't just was with their, their, their money, I mean, it was with, with their entire being and with their, with their whole self. Uh, did not come from a, from a wealthy family by any stretch of the imagination. The Lord took care of our family, but uh, relatively just average middle class. But uh, just watch my parents give above and beyond of themselves from the day that I was born and continue to, to see this today. So uh, my dad, you know, for example, he served as a deacon in the church. Um, both of my parents uh, sang in the choir, a relatively traditional church that we grew up in. They uh, taught high school Sunday school for 15 years, the same Sunday school class. And uh, our uh, parents definitely prioritized family time and vacation. And they made sure that our, our we as their, their kids were not getting their leftovers. I mean, they were present in everything that we did. Uh, and yet when he, we planned vacations, we, I can't remember a single time in my life where we missed two consecutive Sundays uh, because my parents wanted to be able to be present to fulfill their obligations to the church. So we generally came back from vacations on Saturdays. Even when I was playing like travel soccer, we, we would not miss consecutive Sundays and they did everything that they could to continually be present uh, to serve within our local church. And you know, my parents just gave and gave and gave and gave and it was very noticeable. And, and oftentimes I'd hear people ask them about why it was that they were so willing uh, to give uh, so selflessly to uh, build up the local church and to advance the gospel. And I heard my dad say this to, to many others and he said it to us dozens of times growing up. And, and these words still ring true in my life today. How many times I heard my dad say, God gave his best for us, so we should always give our best for him. And after all that Christ has done for me, how could I withhold anything from him? My dad used to remind me almost every single day of my life that none of us will stand before the Lord one day and say, I wish I had given you less. 
but we don't give because we're trying to appease God. Like he's, like he's some God who, who's up in the sky and we're just trying to keep him happy day to day with our actions. That's actually the opposite of the gospel. We give because through Jesus Christ, God is well pleased in us as his sons and daughters. And we know, I think even if you're not a follower of Christ, you might be watching this today, I think we could all agree on this general biblical principle that it's better to give than it is to receive. It's better to be selfless than it is to be selfish. And so when God's word commands us to be people who are giving, it's not because God needs something from us. It's about what God wants for us. He wants us to experience the joy of generosity that comes from the natural overflow of a heart that is well-rested and satisfied in his son, Jesus Christ. God so loved that he gave. Our response of being so loved is that we will give. Thanks again for joining in with us today. We will be back again together next week as we look at the rhythm of worship.